0: Well, today the um, passage um, of God's word that the sermon's uh, based on is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31. This is the last chapter in uh, 1 Samuel. <clears throat> yeah, 1 Samuel chapter 31. We'll read the whole chapter. This is God's word. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboah. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishur, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, was bad, badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus Saul died. And his three sons and his armour bearer and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboah. So they cut off his head and stripped him of his armor, and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to their temple, uh, and to the people. Uh, They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of beth and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Okay, as we consider this word, let's um, pray that God uh, would help us to understand it. Let's come before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, you tell us in your word that uh, the one who looks intently uh, into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues uh, to do it, not forgetting what they've heard, but uh, practicing it will actually be blessed in what they do. And so we pray, Father, that, that, uh, that we would know that blessing, that blessing of being able to um, hear your word and put it into practice. Uh, but for us to experience that, we know we need your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts uh, to remove the stubbornness and the blindness and to shine your light and to to change our hearts so that we want to do what you say. So we pray that he would work in us to that end and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we uh, complete our sermon series in 1 Samuel and I've called this sermon series um, The Rise of the King uh, because it is that transition in the life of Israel where they... Um, now have a king ruling over the nation. But in some ways, that's really only half the story because 1 Samuel is not just about the rise of the king, that is King David, but it's also about the fall of another king, King Saul. And in 1 Samuel 2, right at the beginning of 1 Samuel, that's where Hannah recorded the song that she put together. So Hannah is really the theologian in the book of 1 Samuel and her song summed up the theme of 1 Samuel. And the, the, the one verse that really captures the theme is, that is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, that says, The Lord brings low and the Lord exalts. So bring low, exalt, that's the theme of 1 Samuel. We could really say it's the rise of the king and the fall of another king. And we've watched uh, David's rise but we've also watched Saul's fall, and today that fall is complete, where Saul dies. You know, he loses the battle against the Philistines, and he dies on Mount Geboah. And uh, the way that this is recorded, the way Saul's death is recorded, uh, it actually gives us three reflections on Saul's life, or on Saul's fall, to put it better. It's, and the, the three reflections are... Uh, firstly, on the verdict of Saul's fall. Then on the tragedy of Saul's fall. And finally, the extent of it. So the, the, uh, the verdict, the tragedy, the extent. And each of these actually has a very powerful lesson for us today. Okay, it's speaking to us today. There's some things that we need to uh, give heed to today. So let's look at these three reflections. Uh, firstly, the reflection on the verdict of Saul's fall. So that's in verses 1 to 7. And um, the last time we did hear about Saul, in 1 Samuel, he was uh, hanging out with a medium. Remember, uh, some translations call her the Witch of Endor. And she brought Samuel up from the grave and Samuel spoke. And the message to Saul was, Saul, you're going to die in battle today. And uh, now we pick up the story with Saul again. And that's exactly what happens. So verse 1 sets the scene. Uh, The Philistines were fighting against Israel. The men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboah. So it sounds like um, there was this final stand on that mountain and uh, it didn't work. They were all um, killed. Uh, Verse 2 records the death of Saul's sons, beginning with Jonathan. And there's definitely a sense of sadness about Jonathan passing away. Because Jonathan, he was a great man. Uh, he was so unlike his father. Uh, Jonathan, he was a faithful fellow. He trusted in the Lord. Uh, he was a great leader. Uh, he, and he supported David. He recognized David as the future king. And he pledged his allegiance to David, even at the expense of his own acquiring the throne. You know, normally that's what would happen uh, in, in a kingship. Uh, Jonathan should have been the king, but he realised that that was actually David and gladly pledged his allegiance to David. And he was also faithful to his father, Jonathan was, and as a result, he died because of that. And it's such a sad end for someone who had so much going for them. And yet, it wasn't Jonathan's fault. Okay, It just brings out how tragic Saul's kingship was. The reason Jonathan died is actually because of Saul. It's because of Saul's unfaithfulness. And so Jonathan's death just really highlights um, the failure of Saul's kingship. Well, verses three to four then go on to describe the way Saul died. And uh, it's a pretty sorry picture. You know, first he's wounded by archers. And so he can, you know, he's probably looking at the blood flowing out thinking, well, that's it for me. And so he calls on his armor bearer to um, finish him off. And his armor bearer is um, too, too afraid. And so Saul, he just, it's really sad. He just takes out his sword, turns it around, puts it on the ground and um, falls on it. And that's it. Uh, his armor bearer does the same thing in verse 5. And then verse 6 just gives us a summary. Thus Saul died and his three sons and his armour bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And so it's just a sad, hopeless, and really humiliating um, picture. What we have here is the end of a failed king. Okay, this is Saul's fall is now complete. Now, someone watching on, on that day might have thought, well, I guess it wasn't Saul's day. That wasn't his battle to win. But see, we know that there's a lot more going on that is unseen here. And uh, in 1 Chronicles 10, do you know 1 Chronicles 10 repeats this story almost word for word, but it adds a little summary statement. It gives us a verdict on Saul's life. Why did Saul die? So let's have a look at 1 Chronicles 10, verses 13 to 14. Here's the verdict on Saul's life. It says, So Saul died... For his breach of faith, he broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and he also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. See, that, that shows us what was unseen on that day. It was actually the Lord who put Saul to death. In other words, Saul's death was actually a judgment from God. And the reason for the judgment, according to 1 Chronicles, is because Saul was unfaithful to the Lord. Okay? Unfaithful, that's what characterized Saul's life. That was really the direction of his life. And numerous times he had opportunity to repent. What does repentance mean? Repentance means to turn around. So if you're going in one direction, repentance means to turn around and go in the other direction. See, Saul's life, he was going in the direction of unfaithfulness to the Lord. God called him to turn around and go back in faithfulness to God, but Saul refused. He continued in his unrepentant rebellion and then eventually he reaped the consequences of that in his death. And so Saul actually serves really as a vivid picture of what happens to the one who refuses to listen to the Lord. know, someone who wants to live their life their own way and refuses to repent. And so this picture of Saul, it actually it forces us to not just think about his verdict, but also to think about our own verdict. Okay, what will be the verdict on your life? Yeah, this is something that we probably um, think more about the older we get, you know, because the older we get, the more we attend um, funerals. You know, Our friends and family members uh, die, and we sit in those funerals and we listen to the eulogies. <clears throat> we hear <clears throat> those reflections on the person's life, really giving a verdict, You know, summing up, this is what this person was all about. And as we sit in those funerals, if you're like me, you start to wonder, I wonder what people will say at my funeral. What will be be the summary that people give about my life? Uh, What will the final verdict on me be? And do you know what? In some ways, it doesn't matter what people say. What matters is what God says, how God sums up your life. Okay, The the verdict that He gives, that's all that matters. And Saul, sadly, gave no thought to that. He didn't think about what God thought about his life. See, Saul is the bloke that, let's say his funeral was last week. Do you know what the song would have been as his coffin was carted out of the building? Do you know what the song would have been? I did it my way. Okay, I lived life my way, not God's way. And that's how he died. Only to face God's judgment. But see, there's another factor here that we need to think about, because Saul was the king of Israel. And as king of Israel, that meant he was the representative of God's people. Uh, And so his actions, his choices, the direction of his life, that directly impacted what happened to the people. Uh, So you know, everyone who um, belonged uh, to Saul's kingdom, everyone who was united to Saul in the sense of having him as their king over them, they experienced the consequences of Saul's life. They experienced the consequences of Saul's verdict. And you see that in verse 7. So if you look at verse 7, it says, uh, when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead. They abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. <clears throat> now, from this, what do we learn there? We learn that God's people actually need a faithful king. Okay, the reason why people are fleeing from their homes is because they had an unfaithful king, and they all reap the consequences of that. So what's it saying to us? God's people need a faithful king. In fact, here's another way we could sum up the message of 1 Samuel, that God's people only experience the blessing of God under the rule of a faithful king. And in so many ways, what what the fall of Saul is pushing the readers of 1 Samuel to do is to put their hope in another king, not in Saul. And that's why we have the rise of David. And uh, 1 Samuel 2 is about... Uh, really the question, will David then be the king, the faithful king who secures the blessing for God's people? Will he be that man? And uh, we're not going to do a sermon series on 2 Samuel straight away. That might come another day. but, uh, But I'll just tell you what the answer is. No, David will also fall. So what 1 Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, is doing for us is pushing us to look beyond, definitely beyond Saul, but even beyond David, to look where is a faithful king? Where is the king who is going to secure the, the everlasting blessing for his people so that we will reign with him forever? Where is that king? We need a king whose verdict is not unfaithful, but a king whose verdict is something like, this is my son, whom I love, With him I am well pleased. That's the kind of king we need. You know, we need the king who doesn't die for his own sin, but rather dies for the sins of all of those united to him. Okay, we need the king who doesn't stay dead, but rather rises from the dead and reigns forever. The the righteous king. See, that's the king we need. And of course, his name is Jesus. And that's what 1 and 2 Samuel pushing us to put our hope in that king, because he is the faithful king. So anyway, that's what we learn from um, the verdict of Saul. The verdict is we need a better king, and we have one in Jesus. Uh, The second reflection we have here... (coughs) uh, (coughs) Excuse me... Uh, the second reflection is uh, the tragedy of um, Saul's fall, and uh, that's in verses uh, eight to uh, ten. Uh, the tragedy. Now, the most obvious tragedy in the passage is that the, um, the you know the Philistines beat Israel. Uh, heaps of people died. Uh, lots of people lose their homes and their belongings. And um, I'm pretty sure that we couldn't comprehend. The devastation that would have caused, uh, you know, the displacement, the uncertainty. You know, imagine the, the mayhem as a result. Uh, we, I don't think we can imagine it. And it, that seems like a, a real tragedy, but you know what? That's actually not the real tragedy in the passage. That's not the tragedy that the, the passage highlights In verses 8 to 10, have a look at what the real tragedy is. It says, The next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Geboah. So they cut off his head and stripped him of his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Beshad. Do you see what the real tragedy is in these verses? Okay, it's that, that section that says the Philistines proclaimed the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. <clears throat> and that there is the language of evangelism. See, evangelism just means to tell good news. And here we see the Philistines doing their evangelism and they're going around telling people how we defeated Saul, which means... Our God Ashtaroth defeated the God of Israel. To them, that was good news. They were proclaiming that good news, and by pinning Saul's body up onto the wall without a head, that was a real, you know, a way of displaying, you know, look how pathetic Saul is. Look how pathetic his God is. It's to to humiliate uh, God in that sense. And uh, they put um, Saul's armor in the temple of Ashtaroth. And uh, if you remember all the way back to chapter 5 in 1 Samuel, where the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and they put it in their temple, it's it's a trophy. They're saying, you know, we're the winners. They've obviously forgotten what happened back then. Um, But but anyway, they put Saul's armor in there. And, And so that's the real tragedy. The real tragedy is that God's name was being dishonoured in all of this. The real tragedy is that God's glory was being misrepresented. And see, that's the real tragedy in Saul's fall. Okay, his unfaithfulness brought a whole lot of problems for the nation, certainly brought a big problem for Saul, but a whole lot of problems for all of the people, and yet the real tragedy is the dishonor that Saul's unfaithfulness brought to the Lord. So that God's name is dragged through the mud throughout the nations, uh, that God's name is mocked ap- among the pagans. That's the real tragedy of Saul's fall. Now, I wonder if that speaks to us today. I wonder if we get that, you know, if we, we kind of feel that sense of, yeah, that's what, um, that's what the real problem of unfaithfulness is. Um, you know, all, all unfaithfulness causes problems, there's no doubt about that, but do we get that the real tragedy in unfaithfulness is actually the fact that God's name is dragged through the mud as a result? Do we get that? And do we feel that? Are we upset by that? You know, for example, uh, when, when churches cave into the pressure of culture and remain silent on the truth about God and remain silent about the truth about sin and the truth about the the need to repent and to turn in faith to the Lord Jesus, when a church remains silent about that because we're scared that we might, you know, get get, um, hated or something, when a church gets silent, the tragedy is not just that churches like that fold and another church building remains empty on a street corner. That's that's not the real tragedy. The real tragedy that through all of that, God's name is dishonoured. That God's glory is misrepresented. Or here's another example. Whenever there's fights among Christians, you know, where churches are hopelessly divided because people are not willing to forgive and move on. Okay? Yeah, the tragedy, everyone's hurt and upset, but that's not the real tragedy. The real tragedy is that God's name is dishonored. That's the real tragedy. Or here's another one. When a Christian lacks integrity in the workplace or when a Christian lacks integrity in the school so that through either their computer use or through uh, practices that are um, you know, immoral, you know, everyone else can see the hypocrisy. They don't know why to say it. But everyone can see it. But do you know what the real tragedy is? God's name is dishonored. That's the real tragedy. And I wonder, do you understand that? Do you feel that? Do you see the real tragedy of unfaithfulness? Do you know when we pray, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, do you know what we're praying? We're saying that we want or we think God's reputation is our number one priority, that God's reputation is our highest goal, our number one ambition in life, that that's what we're living for, that's what the prayer means. Do you believe it? See, whenever we live in ways that are actually inconsistent with our profession, whether that is at work or at home or in front of our neighbours, Or at school, in our marriages, whenever we live in ways that are inconsistent with our profession, the real tragedy is that it dishonors the Lord. And that's why Peter told believers in 1 Peter 2, have a look at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Do you see that? See, God's honor, it's always on the line. We can either promote God's honor or we can bring it down. And the tragedy of Saul, the tragedy of his unfaithfulness was that he brought down God's honor among the Gentiles. So that's the tragedy of Saul's fall. Now, the third uh, thing we see here, the third reflection that we have, uh, is on the ex- the extent of Saul's fall. The the extent of Saul's fall. That's in verses eleven to thirteen. Uh, and uh, here we actually have something. It's it's almost like something positive. You know, in all of Saul's um, death. And, and all the problems that it because it's almost like with something positive here. ends on a positive note, uh, that we have um, the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. In verse 11, they hear about uh, Saul, uh, what the Philistines had done to Saul. You know, they hung his body up. And so verse 12 says, All the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth-shan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Now, that that was a huge endeavor. That would have required a lot of bravery and a lot of effort because uh, I don't know how they lugged those four decomposing bodies 15 kilometers over hills and valleys. That would have been a big effort, but they got the job done. Now, given that it's the inhabitants of um, Jabesh Gilead, we know what motivated them. We know why they did this because these are the guys who were rescued right at the beginning of Saul's kingship. You know, when, when Saul was first selected to be the king of Israel, at that point the um, people of Jabesh Gilead, who were kind of on the outer, uh, they were attacked by a guy named Nahash the Ammonite. Uh, that's him, yeah, Am- Ammonite, yeah. And Saul, he, he heard about that, he rallied all of Israel together. They went and defeated Nahash the Ammonite and delivered the people of Jabesh Gilead. And uh, so for one moment in Saul's life, he did something good. Okay, That was his moment of greatness, and it was right at the beginning, which meant it looked like Saul was the real deal. Sadly, that was where his greatness ended, because from that point on, it was all downhill. It was one big, long fall. So when we have the appearance of the men of Jabesh Gilead, at this point... All that it does is just serve to underscore the heights from which Saul has fallen. And it comes out even more in verse 13. Look at verse 13. And they took their bones, that is the bones of Saul and his sons, and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Now, the last time a tamarisk tree was mentioned in 1 Samuel was back in chapter 22, verse 6. So if we have a look at that, uh, this is this, this description of Saul where it says he was sitting at um, Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand and his servants were standing about him. Now, when we looked at that passage, we realized that that was setting up a contrast between Saul and David. At the time, David was hiding in caves, looking very helpless uh, and hopeless, whereas Saul looked very powerful. You know, there he is with servants around him. He could just tell people to do this and do that. He had the spear in his hand. It was a picture of power. And that was the case in Saul's life. Often Saul looked like he was in control. Saul often looked like he was the one who held power, uh, that he was the one who was in a a sure uh, position of strength. But then time revealed the real condition of Saul's position. And this mention of a tamarisk tree, it's, it's kind of ironic Buried under that place, where that that moment where he looked like a powerful leader. And so again, it just serves to underscore the heights from which Saul has fallen. Uh, David even wrote a song about Saul, which is recorded in 2 Samuel. And the key line is, how the mighty have fallen. That's the extent of Saul's fall. And what it is, it's actually a powerful illustration to us, that a good start doesn't guarantee a good finish. Okay, a good start does not guarantee a good finish. It illustrates for us that achieving something great for the Lord, like Saul did with Jabesh Gilead, that doesn't guarantee that your heart is actually right with God. Another thing it illustrates is that feeling secure thinking that, you know, all life is going really well, I must be in a very secure position, doesn't mean you are secure in an eternal sense. And there's a good commentary on, on all of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 11 to 12 uh, here. It talks about the events of the Old Testament and it sums it up by saying these things happened to them, that is the Israelites, as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, look at the application. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Do you see what it's saying? Saul's life, it's actually a warning to us. It's a warning that if we are resting on our past achievements or on our profession of faith, and yet living an unrepentant lifestyle, we need to to take heed. Uh, Every single one of us in this room has the seeds of every sin in our heart, which means we all have the potential for spiritual ruin. We all have the potential to make a mess of our lives, to wander away from the Lord. Now, I'm not saying you can lose your salvation. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what the Bible does teach is that an unrepentant lifestyle is a very good indication that perhaps you haven't been saved in the first place. And that was the case for Saul. Uh, This is why uh, daily repentance, daily confession of sin, growing in godliness, all of these things, you know what they are? They are the evidence that you have been saved. They're not the way to get saved, but they are the evidence that you have been saved. Those things were missing from Saul's life because he wasn't saved. And this is, therefore, a good reminder for all of us today to not put off turning from sin, to not put off seeking forgiveness from God. In other words, to not put off repentance. Don't put it off for tomorrow because tomorrow something else will come up and you won't do it. And then that will turn into a week and a month. Okay, don't put it off. Uh, This is why the call to worship today was Isaiah 55, verse 6 and 7, that says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Right, Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, that kind of invitation was given to Saul over and over again. Even from David, David you know, called Saul to turn and that was the invitation that Saul ignored and he ignored and he ignored and then one day it was too late and that invitation was gone. And Saul died, separated from the Lord for all of eternity. And so... The message for us from the extent of Saul's fall is don't make that same mistake. Okay, a good start doesn't guarantee a good finish and you can pretty much guarantee it if there's no repentance. Don't make the same mistake as Saul. In fact, have a look again. Let's put Isaiah up again, Ethan. Uh, look, Look... Do you see the confidence you can have that if you do turn back to God, He will actually accept you? I think sometimes we can get the idea, oh, I've fallen too far. There's no way I can go back. It's too late now. Look, the Lord may be found still. He's still near. You have the opportunity. And look at the confidence that you have that when you do turn, God will will abundantly pardon. Do you see that? Do you know the confidence that we can have um, of God's abundant pardon? It is in a very strange way um, foreshadowed in, in Saul's death, um, believe it or not. Because if you look at Saul's death here, he was defeated by Gentiles. His body was hung up.